Welcome to the Self-Made Expert Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Morgan, and I love speaking with people who are cultivating economically valuable expertise outside the world of academia and the licensed professions. Some of these conversations end up on this podcast. You can learn more about my work helping indie consultants build an expertise moat at philipmorganconsulting.com. John Jantz, welcome to The Self-Made Expert. Oh, thanks for having me. You, um, I'm holding in my left hand a book you've just written, and our purpose today is for you to overview the, the main ideas, the main arguments in this book. I want to start by asking, to kind of try to place this in context, uh, the title of the book is The Ultimate Marketing Engine, and... By the way, you can introduce yourself. I realize normally I'm like, oh, who are you and what do you do? But we jumped right to the book. Anyway, um, the title is The Ultimate Marketing Engine, Five Steps to Ridiculously Consistent Growth. And so this is a book about marketing. It's making some promises about this being the best way to do it. Who is this for? Is this for people selling commodities or people selling services? Well, nobody sells commodities in my in my view. That's oh, just my take. I tell think me more they, about that. They sell commodities when they allow themselves to be considered a commodity. But I think um, what this book actually is is a book that hopefully helps people understand that uh, uh, that to their customer, to their ideal customer, they don't have to be a commodity. Uh, this is essentially a strategy book that uh, you know it's 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 got a workshop sort of baked into it, but it's not a list of tactical things you can do. It's not, you know, it's not something that's going to tell you the the new idea of the week. It's really about how to be how to become meaningful in the lives of your customers, how to maybe even be the only <laughs> business that matters to them. And that's why I call it the ultimate marketing engine, because you know that to me is is if you follow the five steps in this book, um, you are practically guaranteed to build a business that is going to have uh, long-term uh, momentum that's going to view your customers uh, for life. So having said that, there obviously are some businesses that are very transactional. Uh, people just want to buy something. They found it and they bought it and mm -hmm. they're not even sure who they bought it from. I mean, there, there's obviously a lot of businesses like that, but any business that wants to think in terms of even e-commerce, business, you know, that that views itself as a transactional business. Uh, if you want to have customers for life, if you want to scale your business with uh, people who, uh, who who you have a relationship with, uh, then, then following some elements uh, of the steps in this book uh, are really a great way to view your marketing. So equally applicable if what's being sold is a product, is packaged as a product or a service. I, I think if you have customers and uh, and you want to have more customers and you want to do more with your existing customers, then then this book is for you. Okay. I think it's common for, you said something interesting earlier. Um, I can't quote it right now, but it, it led to this thought. I think it's common to imagine some discrete phases. And one of the earlier phases is you figure out what it is you're selling. And maybe that looks like product design. Or maybe that looks like deciding how you're going to package your services. And then there's this sort of clear, bright dividing line. And then you decide how to market and sell that thing that you've designed, whether it's a product or service. Right. And you kind of implied earlier, well, you didn't imply, you outright said, there are no commodities. Or you can let your, your thing, the thing you sell, I'm just using that as a placeholder for product or service. Right. You can let the thing you sell... Uh, be a commodity, but it doesn't have to be. That's up to you. That's a choice you make. So it sounds like in the book, you're talking about product and or service design as well as marketing. A absolutely. I think those things probably go hand in hand. And, you know, I'll give you an example that I use all the time. Uh, and and this, there are a lot of businesses that perceive what they do as a commodity. And, you know, the challenge with that, of course, is if one you know, service or one product is like another, one business is like another, then the only thing that the buyer can do is use price mm -hmm. as the deciding factor. And that's that's kind of the idea behind uh, the, the consideration of a commodity. Mm -hmm. um, I'll use a very mundane business, a tree service. 
that that we worked with years ago they cut down trees i mean you call them and you've got something you need trimmed or cut down you know they come out and do it and and that's a business that i think a lot of people would look at and say hey if you've got a truck and a chainsaw you can probably cut my tree down <laughs> and so you know what's the price um, but what we kept in, in interviewing their customers and in looking at the five star you know google reviews you know people were going to these things and voluntarily saying here's the problem you actually solved for me I assumed you could cut the tree down, but you showed up when you said you were going to uh-huh. at our appointed time and you cleaned up the job site. We came home after work and couldn't even tell you were there. And that's what we're not getting from everybody else that comes into our home or, or provides some kind of service. And so, you know, that is how that, that basically that company took, we'll show up when we say we will, and we'll clean up the job site as a, as a way to differentiate themselves and take themselves out of the commodity space because they, they understand understood the real problem that they were solving for their best customers, the ones who went and wrote five-star reviews. Okay. Helpful. Thank you. A couple things. If listeners are like, wow, it sounds like Philip hasn't read this book, then you're very perceptive. <laughs> I have the book and have skimmed over and then was like, well, if, I, if the author will talk to me directly, that's even better. So yes, I've not read the book, but um, John's here to rectify my shortcoming. John, I can, also, you, you, if we've got enough time, I'll just read it. It will take five and a half hours and I'll just read it live. Is that? Some of our listeners are current or future authors. Is Do you have yeah. a word count number? That always, I think, is so interesting to connect to reading time. So, so uh, in this particular case, this book is 56,000 words. Okay. Yeah. Great. This might be a good place, though. You kind of mentioned some backstory elements, John. This might be a good yeah. place for me to rectify my earlier error of not letting you introduce yourself. Who are you? <laughs> What's, how did you get to the point where writing this book made sense? Sure. So I guess I have to go back a little bit. I'll try to skip over second and third grade. But um, <laughs> I started my own marketing consulting firm uh, over 30 years uh, ago now. And and. You no plan. Uh, I knew I could hustle work. <laughs> that uh-huh. was about the extent of it. Uh, I, I imagine a lot of people can relate. Uh, I picked up big clients, little clients, big projects, little projects. Somewhere along the line, I, I, I landed three or four small business uh, clients who, who essentially wanted me to be their outsourced marketing department. Uh-huh. I, I frankly couldn't figure out how to do it. In a, I had worked for an ad agency. That was all I knew was kind of that model. Uh, and I really couldn't apply that model to small business very well because they had the same problems and challenges, but certainly you know, almost zero budgets and, and mm-hmm. zero attention span even. Mm-hmm. And so I, I decided what I was going to do if I was going to solve that frustration and work with small business owners, which I love doing, that I was going to have to create some kind of systematic approach to marketing where I could walk in and say, look, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what you're going to do. Here are the results we hope to get. And by uh, the way, here's what it costs. Yeah. Well, it turns out that was kind of music to the small business owner's ears um, because uh, in trying to solve my greatest frustration, I tapped into what is still today uh, one of the greatest frustrations with small business. It's very hard to buy marketing services. And it's gotten worse. Yeah. Uh, there, you know, there's so many pieces of the puzzle, and everybody's selling a, an individual piece of the puzzle or a tactic of the week. And so, the the fact that somebody was going to install a marketing system and you were going to know what it was cost uh, really allowed my business to uh, to differentiate and and in effect explode. And and so I started writing about that. It was kind of when the internet was really blowing up as a place for people to get information. And and so I you know. I, I figured I had to give it a kind of a brandish name. So I called uh, my system duct tape marketing uh-huh. as opposed to, you know, just uh, having it be an unbranded service. I turned that into writing. I turned that into my first book, actually, Duct Tape Marketing. And then I uh, started attracting independent marketing consultants and agencies around the world who now um, license the duct tape marketing system. And, you know, we work with thousands of uh, small business owners. Uh, globally, really, at, on any given day, installing uh, the duct tape marketing system. Just as I've continued to practice that every day and grow, um, as, as I've written books on specific topics like sales and SEO, I actually took a took a two year hiatus and wrote a book uh, called The Self Reliant Entrepreneur, which is really more of a self help book <laughs> for mm-hmm. entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, kind of came back this year with the Ultimate Marketing Engine, and in a way to to really kind of talk about how I think marketing has evolved in the last decade or so that I've been uh, working on it, but also uh, to acknowledge that I think we need to get back to strategy. I think we we need to uh, kind of leave this tactic obsession that we've uh, 
kind of gone down path we've gone down uh, you know fully aside and so that that's really what uh, my attempt was in this book let me ask you an oddball question how many small business owners do you think form an idea about how marketing works by reading the sales copy for software as a service that does mar- like MailChimp. I, I don't right. mean to vilify MailChimp, but that would be a good example. Yeah. If you go to their site, they have, they make claims about what you can do with their, with their service. Sure. How many people, how many uh, small business owners do you think basically that's, that's what teaches them about marketing? And maybe teaches them the wrong things. Sure, and I, I, just to help you not vilify Mailchimp because I love Mailchimp. Sure, um, I, w- I wish I was Mailchimp. They just sold for like thirty-five billion dollars. You would have better things to do than to talk to me. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but but you think about all everybody. That's part of the idea of everybody selling a piece of the puzzle. I mean, an SEO expert says you need this. A website designer says you need this. Facebook says you need this. So I think that it probably led to. I think one of the greatest issues or at least amount of stress for small business owners is they don't know who to trust. They don't know which direction to go. They, they, there's really no clarity around what marketing is. And, and, you know, there are people like me, authors uh, that, that probably lead to that as well. Um, I, mm-hmm. you know, uh, some books I've written, uh, now I go back and look at some ideas and think, well, you know, let's, let's rectify that or let's, let's talk about that differently. So it, it is a real problem. Um, you know, f- for folks, the, the, this whole idea of, of thinking of marketing as a system and, and integrating these pieces uh, as opposed to looking for the silver bullet is, is a real challenge. It's going to be tempting for me to not get obsessed learning from you about how you did licensed IP. That's a super interesting topic. But staying on focus. Um, the well, ultimate Phil, mark- uh, Philip, <laughs> if you, if you buy my course, uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> okay. There's a, there's a path out of this uh, problem for me. The ultimate marketing engine is your book. What's the main idea? I would say the big idea, um, is really what I, I put in step one and, you know, I shouldn't do this. I'm just going to confuse, confuse listeners. There are five steps. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can make a case for step two and step three needing to come before step one, <laughs> but hmm. step, Step one is the big idea, and that is to map where your best customers are today and where they want to go. I introduced this concept as as thinking of our customers more like members. And I don't mean a membership model or a subscription model or, or heaven forbid, uh, Costco mm-hmm. <laughs> as a model. Uh, those are all great business models, but I'm really talking about more of a point of view. What if we viewed our customers as as kind of joining our business because uh, it was something they believed in, because they were we offered a transformation of of their life or their business over a transaction uh, that that they were actually investing in themselves by becoming a customer of our business? And while it, on the surface that may there may be listeners who say, well, that sounds like a good idea, but how do you do that? <laughs> How do you make that practical? The book introduces something I call the customer success track. And it is a very practical way for you to outline and map how you would take your customers that come to you today from where they are to where they want to be. That they would look at your business as, as something they would join for life, perhaps, as a customer. And, and it really starts by understanding the stage they're in today. And you know, any good salespeople can tell you, a salesperson can tell you that that you know, the, if, when they recognize a a prospect, there are certain characteristics of of that prospect or the stage that that customer is in. Uh, they, you pretty much, you probably have a pretty good idea of the challenges that your current customers experience when they come to you for a solution. Hopefully, you've figured out a way to actually the milestones or the tasks that you need to accomplish to solve those challenges. And you've probably also discovered that there, there is a promise that you're able to make that if you get somebody over those challenges, you know, their life or their business or the next stage of their business is going to be different. So almost every business, um, if they really think about it, c- can actually develop that, what I call that first stage, that foundational stage of where most of their customers come to them. So the question then becomes, what would stage two look like? What would stage three, what would stage four look like? Now, you may not have answers to those, but if we started looking at this idea of 
of maturing or evolving, you know, with our customers' needs, it, it, it probably could change. It probably will change the entire strategy of your business. It probably will change the entire roadmap of maybe the products and services that, that you develop and offer. I know in our particular case, it has. Um, you know, we have five stages for everybody that comes to us for marketing. And we realize that most people are in a very foundational stage, that, that we have to fix uh, certain tasks, we have to fix, uh, accomplish certain milestones, but we know if we do, uh, we'll move them to the next stage and the next stage and the next stage. And what that's done for our business is it, it certainly changed our mission. You know, our mission now is to get people from where they are today to where they want to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's changed our sales messaging. You know, we're not just going to fix what you need today. Here's the roadmap. Here's where we're going. Here's what future you looks like. It has uh, changed our hiring, our training, and quite frankly, it's allowed us to document our entire success system. So if you get the book, by the way, uh, there's a complete companion resource <laughs> site that allows you to to actually have the tools that we use for this. So you're going to have the roadmap for marketing. <laughs> but my real goal in introducing this idea to the world is I think almost every business out there can develop something similar uh, that would allow them to to really elevate what it is that they, that they are offering. So it, it, instead of uh, uh, basically offering a transaction we would start looking at our business as the ability as given an ability to create a transformation in the lives of our customers. Okay, there's lots there to dive into. Uh, this is a ridiculous question asked with like actual serious intent. So, if we take away the cult aspects, how much how good a model is Scientology for what you're describing? Huh. Um, I, I will have to just be completely honest with you. Uh, I have heard the term. I, I couldn't begin to uh, speak intelligently about what their model is. <laughs> well, and I just have a, a sort of casual <laughs> outsider's <laughs> acquaintance with Scientology myself. The idea is there's a sort of escalation through different levels uh, of yeah. Yeah, mastery. I mean, maybe, uh, you know, let's use something like a martial arts studio instead sure, sure, where sure. there's an sort of just to use like karate as an example, there's these different belt colors that represent right. different levels of mastery. Is that a relevant idea for how you're thinking about helping your customers uh, grow? I think it actually is um, because in that model that you just described, there is a, there is at least a, in a correct, you know, studio or, or wherever you're being uh, being taught, mm-hmm. there is an assumption that you have to master certain foundational elements mm-hmm. <laughs> in order to move to the next. And right. I think that that's a, I think in a lot of programs, uh, the, the instructor or the program is probably able to say, look, here's where you're starting. Here's where everyone starts. Or maybe you've taken some classes. So now you're starting here mm-hmm. um, uh, because you've come into a new studio but there's usually a roadmap of where you're trying to go. It may not be very specific everything that you're going to accomplish, but I think it, I think it's a relevant uh, comparison for sure. Is this a model that works for soloists who I think of as I mean I'm one myself. I think you have some staff, Johns, but yeah. you at some point were I think a soloist. Are there? constraints that we have that make it so that we have to focus on a particular part of this overall transformation? Or do you see this as maybe get good at facilitating the early stage transformation and then systematize that and then move on to others? How do you think about that? Well, I I do think that there's um, one of the things that's kind of beautiful about this model is that there is an, an inherent aspect of your own growth. Uh, that will come from this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know as we developed it and we started seeing our best customers want to do more with us, <laughs> you know, what would more look like? Um, and I think that in some ways we started offering more services. We started developing relationships with people who could offer more services. I mean, ultimately, many of the folks that we work with, we get them to the point that where they actually want to exit the business or they want to be acquired. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not really something I do, (laughs) but it's something they need as part of that overall transformation. And so we've developed relationships with people who do that um, aspect. So I I think that one of the things that, that, you know, is a step in this book, I ask people to narrow their focus to the top 20% of their customers. And while that may seem like a really scary and maybe even arbitrary number. Mm-hmm. Um, what, we, what we have learned is that if we can really get ourselves to, to look at our best customers, understand who they are, and typically they are our most profitable customers, they're, they're the ones that we actually produce the most value for, 
if we can look at those folks and, and really start saying, what else could we do with them? That's where you start, you know, with this idea of the customer success track and then developing and maturing, you know, your own offerings uh, because of it. Because one of the, you know, the, the very outset of the book, I, I said, I basically define what is the ultimate marketing engine? Well, the ultimate marketing engine is a successful customer, but with one giant caveat, we can't make every customer successful. And uh -huh. that's uh, a lot of times where I think people struggle is they get this idea and think, okay, I'm just going to take this new idea out to the world and anybody who sort of needs what we do is now our, our target. And I'm, I'm talking about, you know, part of your own process of maturing as this solopreneur is to get very good at serving uh, people that you can provide a lot of value for. So is pr profitability what makes a customer the best or c can you elaborate on what how do you know who your best customers are? Yeah, so so broadly, I, that is that is one of the uh, markers that I use. I mean, uh -huh. in fact, an exercise that we have folks go through is to rank their customers by profitability. And profitability as opposed to revenue. <laughs> you know, sometimes mm -hmm. revenue is, you know, the bigger customers, you know, uh, are not as profitable. Um, and, and that's a starting point. You know, then we throw in, okay, let's talk about the customers that, uh, that also refer you uh, currently today. Your most profitable customers who also refer you are, are probably, there's something about the characteristics, the behavior, the values of, of that group that you should try your best to understand fully. One of the things that I've discovered in doing this exercise is it's pretty eye-opening for a lot of businesses. They, they typically see groups or segments. Uh, Their best customers typically, in some cases, are of certain industries, certain sizes, uh, have a certain you know problem <laughs> that, that you're really good at solving, uh, have a certain uh, belief set about how to get that problem solved. And then conversely, the bottom 10, 15, 20, whatever number, uh, a lot of times business owners will say, well, gosh, you know, those are kind of legacy clients. We don't really do that work anymore. You know, it was a slow Monday and we took that project on, but, you know, yeah. we shouldn't uh, be doing that. So a lot of times uh, it, it actually allows them to focus just by virtue of, of paying attention uh, to, to those numbers. But the other uh, thing that I, you know, that I think gets lost in this whole like persona and target market uh, conversation is another filter that I love to ask people after they've kind of created this list or this uh, spreadsheet of, of customers is who can you who in in your best customers who do you provide the most value to the fastest mm -hmm. and what i've found is that typically there is a relationship or a correlation between the the type of customer that you can provide the most value to the fastest quite often is your most profitable customer it is quite often the customer that is the most satisfied because after all, they got a quick result. Uh -huh. um, and that's the group that I often want to really zero in and say, what percentage of those folks would do 10 times more business with us if we discovered how to provide even more value? What percentage of that group would do 100 times more business with us if we figured out another way to provide even more value for them? Mm -hmm. That. That filter um, has served me so well. And, and I think most, you've probably done this, Philip. You, you have somebody comes to you and explains kind of their current situation. And you've probably got some folks that you go, oh, I, I, I can, this, this is a perfect situation for me. I can help them quickly um, and I can you know, provide a tremendous value. I can turn this ship around you know, really quickly for them. And I think that that you know, often gets lost in who we, we then go out and chase. Yeah, I mean, I, myself, I feel this, like I, I, I see that and feel it and mm -hmm. feel this sort of contrary desire to look into the cases where, well, what if this is planting a seed or what if this transformation takes longer? And so I wonder how you think about that. It, like a really cynical way of summarizing what you just said is like, well, look for the low hanging fruit and focus your business on that. The quick wins, the, mm -hmm. you know, the folks who, who, with a little nudge, get big results. Is that actually how you think about it, or is that just a cynical take on what you're no, talking no, about? No, no, no. It's it's a simplistic take, maybe okay. uh, not cynical, uh, because there are many other variables. Do you like working <laughs> with uh -huh. yeah, you know yeah. with that kind of client? I mean, there are, there are a lot of other uh, variables that that go into that. Uh, an, another variable for me is uh, would that kind of client uh, expect to pay a premium to work with you? I mm -hmm. mean, so you know it's. Like I said, it's it, it. What you just described is certainly an element, 
Um, but it probably oversimplifies, um, you know, the, the various filters that we need to, uh, to not only, uh, create, but, but certainly evolve, continually evolve. You know, I work with a lot of, uh, consultants who are starting their practices and it's funny how often, well, there's a lot of people giving advice on you should, you know, the riches are in the niches, you Uh know, that kind of (laughs) advice. And, and so they start out their business thinking, I'm going to work with dentists. Um, and then they realize that, you know, just don't really like working with dentists. Nothing against dentists, but right. <laughs> they just make that determination. Uh, and then they're kind of back to square one. So one of the pieces of advice I give people is it's okay to have some ideas about what you want to do when you're first getting started. But experience will, if you're paying attention, experience will actually guide you to a niche or to a type of client or to a, a behavior, you know, that, that you like to work with. I, I love working with various industries all over the map, but I, I, I like working with people who view marketing as an investment <laughs> as opposed to an expense. And so that allows me, you know, to, to kind of narrow my focus. When I tell people marketing is a system and it starts with strategy before tactics, um, I'm probably only going to attract people who see marketing as an investment as opposed to the idea of the week. Um, and so, you know, that allows me to, to be narrow in my focus and to be a bit niched but it doesn't uh, mean that I'm only going to work with one type of business. Let's take the, I think, somewhat common case of uh, someone's relatively new to working for themselves, and they sort of bottle lightning early on. And this often looks like they kind of connect with some sort of platform. Yeah, Facebook advertising, for example. Sure. A good example. Um, And there's lots of others, you know, like they landed on Salesforce at the right time or whatever. And that platform is, becomes kind of a rising star and their business is doing great. And then they encounter this idea that you're presenting that there's even more opportunity if they can think about a sort of life cycle of transformation that's bigger than just the thing they're doing now. How do they come to understand that life cycle of transformation? Do they interview people? Do they, well, what do they do? I've just suggested one idea, but maybe that's not the best way. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I've done always, or at least hope that I've been consistent at this, is that, you know, when you start, when you really do start at least this idea of narrowing your focus a Mm -hmm. little bit, or at least understanding who your best customers are, um, continuing to dialogue with them, asking them, you know, what else they need, asking them what's working, what's not working. To me, that's how you end up discovering maybe the next opportunity, but mm-hmm. but certainly, you know, what else um, you could do. How can you how you could do what you're doing for them better? Yeah. Um, and to me, that uh, generally leads to a lot of opportunities. I, I, you know, again, going back to our consultant network, we have a bunch of folks that join us that are SEO folks or web designers. And I think that one of the things that, you know, while there's a lot of money, I mean, everybody needs a website. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's also kind of a race to the bottom to yeah. offer a single service. Um, and so I, I think as at least in the marketing space, you know, being able to to help people step back and see the integrated whole um, to develop strategy, which is always going to involve a website, <laughs> but um, it, it's no longer a uh, website vendor. It's no longer website as a tactic. It uh-huh. is website as strategy. Right. Uh, for example, I mean, whatever industry you're in, I think I, I think we have to be strategic thinkers regardless of what we are. If we sell a $29 product, I think we have to be strategic thinkers about the problem that that $29 product solves. Otherwise, we are back in commodity where we started or, or you know, there's going to be somebody that's going to sell that product for $22 um, mm-hmm. and it's a race to the bottom. We have, okay, there's five steps in your book. Mm-hmm. How many have we talked about at this point? Well, we've talked to, uh, a little bit about, or quite a bit about a uh, map where your best okay. customers are today and where they want to go. Okay. Um, we've touched on uncover the real problem you solve for your ideal customers. Uh, and we've talked about step number three, which is narrow your focus to the top 20% of your ideal customers. Okay. Just real quick before you move on to, I presume, step four. Mm-hmm. You said it's arguable that step one should not have been the first step. Why Why? What, why did it end up being the first step? This is more of a book writing process question. Yeah. So it ended up being the first step because it is ultimately the big idea. 
okay. uh, of, of the book. However, if I were really working with somebody in a linear fashion through this book, uh, we would under, uncover the real problem that they're solving. We'd uncover who that top 20% is, and then we would loop back and apply that to mapping their, their customer success track. There's a, I, I think this comes up pretty commonly in, in presenting a process. Sometimes there's a, prelim, a pre-work part or, you know, these need to come first. And they have a little bit of a, you need to eat your vegetables first quality to them. <laughs> Is that what was going on here? Or, I mean, it's just, it's such an interesting question when you ask someone, how, why did you organize this process or this sequence the way you did? And I'm just wanting to hear more about that. Yeah. As I said, I think to me, in my mind, uh, step number one was the big idea. Mm -hmm. It's the idea that I wanted to hook people uh, okay. on the book. Uh, so, and that's why, you know, I literally the first, uh, there is a, there's a story that I tell in the beginning as an introduction or a prologue, as I called it. But then uh, within the first hundred words, I, I utter the phrase, the ultimate marketing engine is a successful customer. Uh -huh. I think a lot of books spend a whole lot of time setting things up. Right. And while I think that's can be important. I think we have to realize that people are just like everything in life. They, they're making uh, judgments very quickly about whether or not this is or is not going to be of value for them to exchange the time in reading it. Um, and so I, you know, I start very much there. I map out the five steps uh, quickly, and then I get into what I think is the idea that's going to be the uh, the most useful, but also the, the most unique. Uh, a lot of marketing books write about core messages and write about narrowing your target focus. And, you know, step four is all really about the, uh, the tactics and the channels that you ultimately have to play in today. Um, but without uh, step number one, uh, I think the book runs a little bit of risk of being judged as, oh, here we go again. John, it's almost as if you, in your 30 years of marketing, have learned a thing or two about how people make decisions about the value of something. And you've baked that into your book. That's beautiful. Okay, what's step four? So step four, again, just as what it's called is attract more ideal customers with the narrative they are already telling themselves. Okay. For all those, um, I, I guarantee that the... Uh, if I receive any two-star reviews for this book, <laughs> I haven't received any yet, but mm -hmm. if I were, I, I guarantee they will say something like, this book didn't even get to talking about marketing till chapter eight, uh, because this <laughs> is really where I introduced the idea of the website being the hub of your business, where uh -huh. I introduced the idea of content as the voice of strategy, where I introduced kind of all the channels that we need now. And my, my real reason for putting this really important marketing idea is I wanted steps one, two, and three to be accomplished before we started talking about what is essentially, in many people's views, the tactics of marketing. If you accomplish step one, two, and three correctly, Mm -hmm. Then all of a sudden, everything that I talk about, how to, you know, what your website needs to do, what your content needs to do, the role of SEO, those are going to be viewed now as strategic elements of your marketing. And I guarantee you they're going to work far more effectively than 90% of what I see business owners and businesses and marketers doing around these channels today. You mentioned narrative. Um, here's a question I really want to ask uh, this idea of persuasion exists in the world of marketing. The idea that you can, and you see it in people's language. I'm interrupting myself. You see it in people's language. Uh, I get sometimes, at, after folks join my email list, I send them to a quick, short, totally optional survey, trying to inquire, you know, what's on your mind? What questions right. maybe brought you here? And you'll see it in the language there. Uh, how can I make prospective clients do X? How can I you know, it's sort of how can I exert more control over this situation, I think, is what it's, what's at the root of this. What do you think about persuasion? You mentioned the narrative they're already telling themselves, and I think that might be part of the answer. But, you know, uh, can we convince people to do something through marketing? I, I don't think so. I mean, and I think a lot of marketers... I'd step back. I think people have successfully done that. <laughs> I don't think that's necessarily a long-term solution mm. for creating customers for life. And so uh, what I, you know, my belief is that, you know, we're not so much engaged in, in creating demand, you know, getting people to do what we want them to do. Yeah. Marketing today is more around organizing behavior and, and, to me, that's guiding people <laughs> to to 
you know, participate in the behaviors that they want to participate in with the companies that they, they choose to engage. I introduced something way back in step number one, uh, because it's relevant to creating the customer success track uh, that I call the marketing hourglass, which is really my concept of the of the customer journey as it exists today. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, all the changes and hand wringing about, you know, this network and this change in marketing and this new platform, I, th- I think the thing that gets lost quite often is the thing that's changed the most at least since I've been doing this, is is the customer's ability to choose how they want to become a customer. Mm. Um, and, and that's what I think we have to really be focusing on, on guiding and not forcing. And so this idea of narrative versus uh, storytelling, you know, storytelling is something that probably about 10 years ago, you know, people started talking about as, as, as this novel concept in marketing, you know, it was, there's probably an entire shelf in many bookstores now on books that tell us how to, how to use storytelling and marketing. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's, I think it's a dramatically better approach than in terms of connecting, uh, than, than just telling people here are the features and benefits of my products and services. But I think what, what is lost even in that conversation is that a story is sort of chronologically set up in a linear fashion. And that's not how people buy. That's not how people make decisions. We make decisions more around a narrative. And the difference being that the story is straight line. Here's the story you know, from beginning to end. A narrative is more like a screenplay. We've all seen uh, the movie that starts off with the fiery car chase, big wreck, and all of a sudden you know, cut to the protagonist being in sixth grade. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and all of a sudden we're like, wait a minute, I want to know how that happened. I, I, you know, I want to know the story. You know, I want to know the elements. I want to know what's going on. And I think that, that, that our job or our chore as marketers is to allow people to, to see what a future state uh, would look like rather than telling them what they need to do today. It's a, it's allowing them to help kind of dream and, and, you know, go on that journey the way that they're going to go themselves. And, and we just have to be there. We have to have the, the questions and objectives uh, kind of detailed based on the, the, the path that they take or they choose to take. And in many cases, without us, you know, guiding them or without us even knowing <laughs> that they are, uh, uh, you know, in search of a, a solution or a problem. So the narrative that is already happening inside our prospective client's head. How do we learn about that? How do we know what that is? I don't know that we ever do. Um, I think that, you know, one of the things I talk about a, a great deal when I start unpacking this idea of content, you know, content has really become kind of air in marketing. It's there's a lot of wasted air, uh-huh. <laughs> a lot of hot air yeah. um, in, in marketing. But if we start thinking about this idea of the customer journey, and, and our customer journey has seven stages. They are no like, trust, try, buy, repeat, and refer. And if we start really looking at uh, producing content, not just as a tactic or as not as, well, we've got a blog, so we need another blog post. But if we start applying our content to understanding the questions or answering the questions and objectives, that customers that we believe customers have at each stage of the journey, and those change, you know, dramatically. Uh, if somebody's trying to solve a problem, or they're trying to even understand what their problem is, uh, they have different questions and objectives than if they are trying to decide if we're the solution, you know, to help them solve the, uh, that problem. So if we start making sure that we are attaching the intent of all of our content. Uh, to some stage of the customer journey, we are going to, you know, eventually be filling all the gaps so that that this idea of narrative, this idea of guiding, you know, self-guided journey uh, can happen. And I think that that, you know, uh, again, is not just a a lead generation, lead conversion uh, conversation. I mean, even after somebody becomes a customer and uh, the ways that we retain them and we resell them and we sell them more and the way that we uh, turn them into evangelists, you know, these are all uh, jobs, I think, today of, of content. And so it it's a very, takes a very comprehensive kind of end-to-end journey view of using content to really allow people to, to pick and choose how they want to go through uh, the, the journey that's unique to them. What are the tells? What are the things we can see in advice that is 10 years out of date that's telling us what would have worked 10 years ago but is less likely to work now? Here's the challenge with any of these marketing things. Sometimes they continue to work. And and that leads people to say, 
you know, you need to do X. You need to have, this is my favorite, you need to have a tripwire, uh -huh. um, you know, as a part of your offer. There, you know, you need to get people uh, in for this $17 thing so that you can sell them the, you know, the the, the big upsell or that uh -huh. uh, you can, I bought something the other day, uh, uh, some, some information that I wanted to consume on a topic that I didn't know much about. And I kid you not, there were six upsells that I had to whack away, you know, before I could actually get to my product. Wow. People do that because <laughs> at some level it works, but what they, they, they choose to ignore is that it works in the short term. Some okay. percentage of people go, okay, yeah, okay, now I'm going to give you $97, you know, or now I'm going to give you $199. Mm -hmm. But what I think they ignore is that I never want to do business with this company again. In fact, I will absolutely unsubscribe to anything they send me because that was such a bad experience. And I think that, you know, one of the things that the, the pandemic really taught us is that, you know, nobody we don't have to stand for anything anymore. <laughs> you know, we, everything, uh, every innovation, uh, every, you know, attempt by a company to be more human uh, is going to be very welcome right now. And a lot of the things that we just stood for, um, we're now no longer going to tolerate. If we could, I, I'm going to ask you to be artificially precise. So that, that company that gave you six upsells mm -hmm. <laughs> between you and what you actually wanted, if they could take a different approach and look at this entire transformation journey, what are they leaving on the table by not by ignoring the potential value in serving the entire transformation? Like, can you reduce that down to a simple, uh, you know, the, the value that they could deliver to that customer is X, but they're actually only getting this fraction of that? Well, you, absolutely. Yeah. I know for a fact they sell a fifteen thousand uh, dollar training, uh -huh. um, and so you know that. The way we sell $15,000 trainings is uh, by developing trust. <laughs> right. Now, sometimes that trust is because, you know, Philip said, John's training is the best. You should go buy it. So that's a way to accelerate trust. Mm -hmm. But but trust really happens because they exceed my expectations, you know, mm -hmm. rather than creating friction or, or, you know, creating an experience that was clearly about them and not about me. Uh, so... I can't give you a number, but I can tell you right off the bat, you know, that they're, they're sort of, you know, kind of missed the window on uh, laddering me up sort of the, the, the idea of, you know, okay, this was a great experience. Uh, what else can you do for me? Yeah. So what's step five in the book? So step five is scale with your customers by serving their entire ecosystem. And essentially um, what I'm saying here is the best source of leads are happy customers. This uh, entire step is, is a workshop on all the various ways that you can amplify your referability. People like what you're doing. People have gotten great results. What are you doing to make sure that you can actually provide even more value so that they will uh, continue to grow with you? What are you doing to develop strategic partner networks that um, that, that could be uh, a tremendous source of new leads and new business for you? There are about eight very specific approaches, uh, any two or three of which uh, would would take somebody's, the fact that somebody is doing good work and, and you know, highly amplify that in ways that don't force you to go out and find new customers, don't force you to go out and build that whole cycle of trust because you're, you're borrowing on the trust that you've already developed. Beautiful. How quickly can someone apply this advice? So specifically the whole book or <laughs> what's the investment or... Yeah, yeah. I mean, what are they buying into in terms yeah. of, like, if I said I, I want to become very in great shape, like yeah. I've described a big thing, yeah. it might be nice to know what it's going to actually going to take. <laughs> well, I think like I think it's like a lot of things. Even in the entire, let's say we have a book on you know how to how to you know lose twenty pounds and you know mm -hmm. become in the best shape of your life. Right. There are going to be many steps. There are going to be many elements. Probably even somebody that gets a great result is only taking advantage of, of a percentage yeah. uh, of the things, you know, they're changing a couple habits and that's, you know, making a difference. No one is going to take this book and go from A to Z and implement every aspect of it, at least not first time around. Right. Uh, but if somebody took one step 
and created a better core message that promised to solve the real problem that their ideal customers make. If they uh, started really understanding who the top 20% of their customers are and started at least thinking about ways they could evolve more with them, um, they were they are going to experience, in some cases, dramatic change uh, in their business. And you know, then you can start applying step four, step five. Uh, you can loop back to step one, um, and, and that will evolve. Mm-hmm. My first uh, attempt at a customer success track had three stages. We now have five stages because we continue uh, to do it. This is really, in some ways, um, I'm asking businesses to change their point of view about what marketing actually is. Um, and that's going to be something that uh, might take years um, to, to fully realize. But taking one step or one you know new change or one new point of view could could actually uh, make I mean, it's certainly going to be worth the 14.99 that they pay for the book for sure okay switching a little bit to talking about writing books yeah. let, me, let me start with this uh, when I think about John Jans it, it feels like he has written more than three books is that because you have or how many books published books are under uh, your uh, name the ultimate marketing engine is my seventh book Okay, well, that's why it feels like you've written more than three. You mentioned three, but you've written more than three, and I think that makes you such a wonderful person to hear from about writing books. But let me set try to set some context for our listeners. I don't know uh, when did you when did the first person give you money to license the duct tape marketing framework? Do you remember roughly the time frame on that? Uh, Two thousand and six. Okay, two thousand and six. We are here. For what, 15 years later? Yes. Okay. I'm terrible at doing math on the fly. Sorry. I'm not trying to challenge you also with a math question there, John. So 15 years since you packaged your thinking in a form that uh, was not a book. It's a, you know like a marketing toolkit or framework or That's I'm right. not sure what That's you right. called it back then, but not a book. So you've been doing that for 15 years. You've got seven books. Um I don't know, I guess the dumb throwaway question is like, what have you learned about packaging up your thinking in ways that people can buy? Um, probably the biggest learning for me was, you know, I had been doing this, you know, it, it was, I was uh, unconsciously um, effective, you know, at, at doing the things I'd been doing. Uh-huh. When you try to transfer your knowledge uh, to someone else, um, it, it was not enough to develop the system, the how to, or the you know what it is that we do. Yeah, um, I realized that I also had a um, methodology right. <laughs> for how we did it, and so I developed the system and started saying people, here it is, and I didn't realize that they also needed to know how to attract an ideal customer, how to convert an ideal customer, how to onboard an ideal customer, how to do the research to to effectively get a result for the customer, how to do the implementation as well. So on and on, um, we had to kind of in parallel paths, although it was really more of a jagged journey, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, develop the system itself and then develop the, the playbook for how you actually use the system or install the system. That sounds like at moments that could be discouraging. You've got this tacit knowledge. It seems like I know this works. I've been, you know, doing this for, you know, a while and get results. And and then someone else tries to do the exact same recipe and, you know, the dish doesn't taste as good for them. So how did you get over those perhaps discouraging moments? Maybe that never happened, but I I assume it had to. No, absolutely it did. I mean, I, I, again, I think when you've been doing this for 20 years, you know, at the time, maybe I'd been doing it for 15 years. You, you do think, well, it's obvious people, (laughs) right? (laughs) And and, with the program. uh, (laughs) Yeah. And I, and I, you know, realized that it was not obvious uh, to everyone. Also, the other thing that I I think was a, a miscalculation on my part was that particularly people who had no experience with marketing. We we actually attracted or had no experience running a business. Mm-hmm. Um, we we have attracted a lot of folks changing careers. They wanted to get out of a corporate environment and and do their own thing. I mean, uh-huh. we all know consulting is uh, like a gravy train, right, Philip? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and yeah. so there were a lot of people uh, chasing that 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 dream. And and what I underestimated was that there isn't necessarily a recipe for how to be an entrepreneur. Um, and you know, for many people. They're just not built for it necessarily. Or some of the, you know, another thing that a lot of entrepreneurs come face to face with is that 50% of their job is selling. 
not everybody's built for that. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, there, were, there were a lot of learnings that we had to to really bring to people that, especially when you are transferring your own knowledge, you know, you transfer a fair amount of who you are uh, that that you bring to it. I mean, selling is something that is, I think, is inherent to. You know, I actually like it. <laughs> I yeah. like doing it, um, and I underestimated, uh, probably underestimated uh, for years, that uh, how hard it is for some people to do. And so, you know, elements like that 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 we maybe felt were because our, you know, our whole goal is is not to sell a training course. I mean, we have a network, we have a membership program, um, so our whole purpose in this is to to make sure that the folks that join that uh, that trust us and want to be a part of that are ultimately successful. Uh, so, uh, in doing that, we had to cover a lot more ground than I probably anticipated we would. If this original IP that you started selling in two thousand six were a software product and it had a version number, what version would it be on now? Oof. <laughs> um, we started with CDs, Philip. Um, so that'll tell you something. Uh, with some of our training. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I would say at least 6.0. Okay. So yeah. Like six really major yes. uh, revisions, revisiting, yes. repackaging, what have you. Yeah. 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 New platforms, you know, even. Yeah. All right. If you lost everything you owned tomorrow, but you know, retained everything you knew. Would you be more interested in selling ideas or selling products on day one? Where would you start? Ideas, for sure. I, I think that's, if people have told me I have a superpower or a skill, <laughs> it's taking complex ideas and making them practical and simple. And so I think I would probably start there. What does it take to sell an idea to someone? I think that the biggest thing it takes is, is to uh, help them create a picture that allows them to validate what it is that that you're selling as being in their best interest. How do you do that? <laughs> it's a lot of mirrors, uh, some amount of smoke. <laughs> I think it takes not trying to sell them anything. Oh, interesting. Which is the hardest thing in the world. Yeah, especially if you just yesterday lost everything you own. Yeah. <laughs> it probably would be extra yeah. hard. I mean, we've all... If you've done this for any amount of time, you have experienced that one of the best ways to sell somebody something is to not need the sale. <laughs> now, that's not something that you can just then go apply, but it is a point of view that, you know, again, trying to pay the bills it can be a tough point of view to adopt. But I know that when I focus on understanding what people need, delivering tremendous amount of value, you know, it just value uh, in return shows up. Boy, that's got to be one of the core paradoxes of business sure in general, or sure especially is. the kind of business that involves uh, selling ideas or you know selling things that aren't a house to live in and food on the table. You know, yeah. is 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 living in that tension. Yep, absolutely, John. This has been a delightful chat. Where can folks get the book? Find out more. What's a you know? Where should they go from here? You bet. So the Ultimate Marketing Engine is available in uh, ebook and uh, hardcover and uh, audio versions anywhere you buy books. If you want to find out more about the book itself, get some free chapters, uh, actually see some other resources. It's theultimatemarketingengine.com. Uh, there is, I think, as I mentioned, a resource companion uh uh, site for the book. So if you get the book, you're also going to get 50 or 60 worksheets, or <laughs> checklists, templates for uh, actually accomplishing the action steps. And then if you want to find out or take a peek at what I've been doing for the last few decades, it's all at ducttapemarketing.com. That's D-U-C-T-T-A-P-E marketing.com. John, thank you again for this. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. As you can tell, I, I love talking about it. <laughs>